This episode is brought to you by Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day. Washington Wise from Charles Schwab is an original podcast that unpacks the stories making news there. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Walt Disney shaking up the entertainment world. Welcome to Money Beat. I'm Paul Vigna. I'm Stephen Carosa. And we are joined today by Heard on the Street, Miriam Gottfried. Miriam, how are you doing? I'm doing very well today. And uh, you know, Miriam, this is probably the one room on the planet where Stephen Grosser can, can claim credit for an idea that Disney just came up with that where he's not going to get a lot of pushback. Because anywhere else, I don't think. Uh, I don't know. I might give him buy. some pushback. Let's see what he has to say. <laughs> Let's see what he has so, to say. So, so Stephen Grosser, uh, a, a decade before Walt Disney made this announcement, this was your idea? More than a decade. This is more than a decade. More than a decade. It was it wasn't my idea. This is your se. idea. No, it wasn't my idea that they should do this. Yeah. But and I don't think this like the, and I will say like I was not the originator of this idea. This was from talking to people in the industry and people talking. Netflix in two thousand five, two thousand six. There was a lot of questions about you know whether it was going to be like you know whether, whether it was overvalued. I mean, essentially, they at that point they were just delivering di- you know your DVDs in the mail, and the question is, <laughs> you know, where does it go from here? And I think a lot of people were concerned about the technological tra- you know transition that was going to take place in the movie industry, where you can increasingly start just getting the movies delivered to you over the web or on demand on your TV and things like that. And so streaming, as they call streaming, it, streaming, yes, Paul. as the cool kids. So I, yeah. you know. I, at that point, I made perhaps the most prescient call, <laughs> and luckily this was only in conversation with colleagues, that Netflix was way overvalued. I think it was trading under $20 at that time, so wow, <laughs> that was brilliant. And this is why you never listen to a journalist. Now, the, the, but, the question, the, but I did think the question, it, it raised a fundamental question is, like, when do the media companies, the creators of the content, start cutting out the middlemen and going directly to you know the consumers and you know and that seemed to po- to me and you know and people I was talking to and things like that as a very big sort of cons- you know threat to Netflix now thousands of different things have happened Netflix created incredible streaming you know business that um, has been adding millions upon millions of subscribers in the years since then so i mean to say that i was like right is you were early you weren't wrong you were just early I was so far early and I think (laughs) my my idea of what was going to happen was a minor (laughs) isn't exactly what uh, transpired uh, or close to what transpired it was close to it so I mean Disney Miriam comes out with this big announcement yesterday Uh, why don't you kind of run over the, the basics of it so one piece of the announcement was actually not new They have been talking for a while about launching an ESPN streaming service that isn't the ESPN content you see on TV, but rather the content that's not on TV, the other content they have rights to that's not on TV. And that's going to launch in early 2018, they said. They also said, and this was the bigger news, that they are ending their deal with Netflix, beginning with the movies that are slated to come out in 2019. And... Just as a reminder, they have this deal, which they actually struck in 2012 with Netflix, um, where Netflix gets sort of the premium TV rights window of for new releases from Disney. So they go to the theater and then they go to Netflix. That's sort of the way it mm-hmm. works. And that right, those rights used to be owned by stars back in the day. 
Um, they said they're going to end that deal. But they, I think 2019 is the soonest they can end it. Yeah. Um, and they are instead going to create another app that goes directly to consumers, another streaming service that goes directly to consumers that has their movies on it. Yeah. Um, that's Disney branded. And that was the big news. Um, you know, I think the biggest piece of that news is the we're cutting out Netflix piece of it. Right. So your piece today basically said, don't freak out just yet. There's a lot for both Netflix and Disney still yet to play out and to figure out how this is you know really going to impact both companies we you know we're, we're going to you're going to have to sort of <laughs> keep an eye on this people for the next are freaking years. out i mean people don't didn't really listen to me they they are freaking out a little bit um they're not really freaking out that they I mean, are Netflix surprisingly not down. freaking out that much about Netflix. Yeah. Um, the thing about Netflix, and we'll go get to Disney after that, but the thing about Netflix is we have no idea how important each piece of content is for Netflix in terms of its ability to generate subscribers off of that piece of content. Mm. We have no idea how many of Netflix's subscriber additions have come because they have Disney content. So we have no idea right. what the impact of its disappearance will be. Well, and you can also argue that Netflix much like Stephen Grosser foreseeing the future. I mean, Netflix probably saw this coming too, which is why they've invested so much in their own original programming. They've built their own brand that could stand on its own if it had to. Yeah. Disney is probably just the first of many media companies who decide to pull the plug. And And a huge one, to be sure. Yes. An important one. And also, you're already sort of seeing, I mean... Talk about CBS and HBO. I mean, a lot of a lot of media companies are going direct to the consumers Correct. already. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, I mean, Disney just happens to have very powerful uh, a very powerful brand, right. yeah. but we don't know. Netflix has, as you say, built up this slate of original programs, which have been widely recognized. People talk about them, right. but there are no ratings. There's no data on who watches what, so we don't know. If that's enough to until sustain they tell Netflix, us that, until, you know, Adam, until subscribers leave right. or until subscribers stay, we right. don't know. Or when they tell us that Adam Sandler movies get you know five hundred thousand hours of viewing or whatever the yeah. number was, yeah. right ahead of their new Adam Sandler movie, yeah, which was interesting. There's there's definitely like selective release of some kinds of data, yeah. Um, but so, oh, with Disney, right? That's, so that that's the question. other question. With Disney, I, I've written recently about another thing, which I think is much more important in the immediate term for Disney, because 2019 is a long time from now. They're doing what they can to kind of shore up pay TV subscriber losses that are coming because their content, content is on Netflix, but they can't do anything immediately about that. I think what they can do in the meantime is try to um, sort of soften the blow by uh, going through their next round of contract negotiations with pay TV providers. Um, And during those contract negotiations, they're going to be able to put new limits on – they're basically going to be able to slow the loss of subscribers for for ESPN. Um, And the way they can do that is they can insist on certain minimum penetration guarantees. That's what that means. They can say, we require that X percent of – pay TV subscribers ha- are e- on ESPN, have ES- access mm-hmm. to e- ESPN, which means that even if you're on a package now that doesn't have ESPN, you could get it because Disney's going to potentially force the companies to give it to you. And that could help them. 
Um, and they still have leverage in negotiating with media companies. This is or with cable companies. They are still an incredibly powerful brand. So, so speak to how this sort of streaming strategy for Disney is is sort of trying to offset the losses from you know at ESPN in terms. I mean, subscriber losses. Yeah. From ESPN. So, I. So the the streaming the streaming service for ESPN, as I said, will not have the content that's on TV. So they're trying not to undermine their still very profitable TV business, um, and so that's a little tricky to do. Um, but they're hoping to supplement it by allowing people, maybe people who have cut the cord and are interested in niche sports, maybe people who are so into sports that they'll pay for TV and for these extra bundles of of other sports um it that could supplement their what they call affiliate revenue which is just revenue from subscribers to pay tv um and we don't know what the price of that streaming service is going to be yet but that that money will kind of go to toward their subscriber revenues i don't look it's it is going to be interesting, right? You're clearly at a place where media companies have to think on several different levels about, one, what they're producing, what they're making. They have to, you know, that, that's an entire conversation. Then how to distribute it, how to sell it, how to sell it to people who want to cut cords, people who want the cords, people who want cable, how to get it on all these different platforms. You know, the, the one that I think is interesting because it affects me personally is uh, what CBS is going to do with the new Star Trek show. Mm-hmm. Because they're going to premiere. I know. Well, you know. Look, the, it, it affects no, but, him but personally. <laughs> as, as a Trekkie, it affects me personally. And you can see what CBS is going to do. They're going to try to prime the pump for the viewers by putting it on the network. But then they're going to move it to their streaming service. Mm-hmm. And they're hoping that Trekkies will decide to buy the streaming service mm-hmm. and watch the show. I'm not one of them. I'm not going to pay for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm not. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just not. I'll watch it on TV. I would watch it on the web. But I'm, I'm not. I don't feel like paying for it. I think some people feel that way. Some people say, I'm not going to pay for another streaming service. Right. That's going to be a question. And to those people, I say, well, you might be interested in a little thing I like to call the cable bundle. (laughs) (laughs) That was the whole point of the cable bundle to begin with. You don't have to pay for each individual streaming service and try to cobble together something for yourself. You get it all at once for a somewhat discounted price. Because if you went out and literally paid for each of those channels, you would be paying a lot more. So so let's just take one. Quick step here, Paul. How many streaming services do you pay for? One. Which one? Uh, FiOS. Well, so you don't pay for any streaming? <laughs> no, I do. I have cable, and that's what. Yeah. And you, and so you have a bundle. Yes, I have a bundle. Right. Okay. Which so, I'm, I'm. So you're not really the target audience in any way for these. Pro, you know what they're doing. You're not a cord cutter. Uh, well, I, I'm not a cord cutter, but I am a part. I mean, you know, you're I, a I, big TV watcher. I'm a big TV watcher. I watch a lot of we, shows. We, 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 yeah, we know. You live blog them, live tweet them. I, yeah, I'm a, a top <laughs> critic. I, I, listen, I am a top critic on Rotten Tomatoes. Little known fact. Wow. About me. So mm-hmm. I am the target audience. They they would want me. The whole like critic thing on Rotten Tomatoes just fell apart. I can't trust them anymore. <laughs> it really did fall apart. Um, no, but you, you're absolutely right. I mean, there is something attract. There is something attractive but, about cable, but because I, of that, because of that convenience. No, but uh, when you talk about people cord cutting, and one of the things is like you know people wanting with cable is the a la carte yeah. sort of menu, and 
isn't that something you can kind of know if you're a cord cutter, you know, try to recreate with streaming? Isn't that sort of you yeah. can get like you can get your HBO, you can get your CBS, you could get now Disney, and you can recreate, and then you'll have like you know maybe Netflix or Hulu to sort of supplement all like you know those specific ones. You could get, you your, get your antenna. Yeah, and you could get your antenna. <laughs> we had a story that about a that the a- other day. I, I'm, I want to go out and buy one. Yeah. My parents had to get one when they, you know. Yeah. We are talking to Miriam Gottfried. We are talking about Disney and Netflix cord cutting. You are listening to Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. ADP knows anything you hear, anything you don't hear, anything you kind of heard, anything you weren't supposed to hear and now have to pretend like you didn't can change the world of work. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. For more insights, enable the Wall Street Journal skill on any device with Amazon Alexa. Get all of our podcasts, as well as the latest news and market updates. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. Welcome back to Money Meet. Paul Vini, Stephen Grosser, Miriam Gottfried here in the studio. And we could talk all day about cord cutting and cable and what shows I'm willing to pay for and not pay for. But <laughs> we have other topics in the world of the capital markets to talk about. Uh, you might be surprised to learn that it is still earnings season for retailers, at least. And Miriam, let's talk about retail. How, how dead or alive is this industry, I guess, is really? Right, that's the only question you have to ask every day. Well, yeah. I mean, we have uh, who's reporting in the next few days is like sort of a who's who of the department stores that yeah. have yeah. been hammered by Amazon. The department stores are really the most at-risk section of the retail landscape. And th- when we talk about retail, the death of retail, we're really talking about the death of department stores. Right, yeah. right. And, um, you know, things are not probably going to be good for them this quarter. Um, I think the question is, what is the rate of decline and how much are they doing to close stores? Mm -hmm. Because as I've written a lot, um, store closures are the only thing that will ultimately slow this steady bleed. Just because it's cutting costs. I mean, it's it's cutting costs, but, but it's also kind of reining in the, it's the only thing you have control of, basically. Right. As you're expanding online, more of your sales are shifting online, which means you need to be closing stores in order to offset, in order to basically take away the capacity in your in your system um, that offsets those yeah. sales that are going online. And, and the retailers that are reporting, uh, Macy's, JCPenney, Nordstrom, right? Kohl's? Yeah. yeah. JCPenney on Friday. JCPenney on Friday, yeah. Macy's Nordstrom, on Kohl's, and Macy's on Thursday. Thursday. On Thursday. Right, right, yeah. right. And then you have Walmart and Target the next, next week. Next week, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, Macy's is really a classic case, um, in p- particular because it is... It had it really built up so many stores, and now it's doing a huge round of store closures, mm-hmm. um, and it has sort of been leading the charge in store closures. It's sort of taking one for the team because if you close a store, it helps your competitors too. Right. Um, and they've also they also, as I've written recently, they have um, a fair amount of debt, which I think. I argue, has tied their hands in terms of their ability to really invest in turning around their business. So all they can really do is sort of manage the situation. Um, And we'll see if they come up, you know, they had an an analyst day where they talked about initiatives that they're going to do to fix their business. But the thing, the the initiatives are kind of vague in some ways. Um, And we'll see 
whether they can sort of translate the words into action that has any measurable effect on same-store sales, because same-store sales have been steadily declining for quite a while now. You know, it, it, occurs to, it occurred to me when, when reading this, when reading ahead for this podcast, you know, part of the problem, and this is not any great insight, but it just kind of hit me this morning, you know, it's easy to say, well, we're going to move online and we're going to compete online, and you know, but I mean, they... In the old days, there were ways to differentiate brands and stores, right? You could be high-end, you could be low-end, you could be in a location that nobody else was in. You know, all that disappears online, and the only differentiator is price, and Amazon sells everything. Well, Amazon doesn't sell everything yet when it comes to apparel, but the threat is there, and it's growing. Quickly. What don't they sell? They have kind of a random smattering of like the better retail brand, yeah. uh, the better apparel brands. So, like, if I, as a, as a fashion connoisseur, I personally don't buy a lot of clothing from Amazon because they don't have the brands that I like. But it may be just a matter of time before yeah. they do. And there are plenty of, you know, more generic items that you buy that you can happily buy on Amazon. They don't have to be, like, your high fashion. Right. Um, also... You know, I think the problem with department stores is they don't have proprietary brands for the most part. And that's one of the things that Macy's plans to focus on is having more proprietary products. If you're just a store that sells things that other people make, you're the most at risk when it comes to competing with Amazon because Amazon can can take it all the way. Right. You know, look at a company like Bed Bath & Beyond. Everything they sell is available on Amazon. Mm -hmm. So they're 100% exposed. If you're a company like Ralph Lauren, at least you have a brand. Yeah. You know, at least you make your own clothes. Right. What about, you know, sort of companies like, you know, Nordstrom has, you know, an app where you can, you know, get stuff discounted and stuff like that. How is that done? How are those, are those helping their bottom line as, you know, um, for, you know, online, I guess, uh, customers? So, um Nordstrom has been very much ahead of the curve when it comes to e-commerce. They have been for many, many years, and that's something that I don't think the market has been giving them enough credit for. They've sort of been lumped in with the department stores, and they've been kind of shipped off. Um, and that's why we had talk of Nordstrom getting um, potentially, you know, the Nordstrom family being interested in t teaming up with someone to take the company private, because right. I think they're frustrated about the way the market is perceiving their company. They have a much smaller store footprint. They're much right. further ahead in e-commerce. They've maintained an air of luxury and exclusivity that the other department stores maybe haven't been able to do. Um, but online sales aren't necessarily a solution to the problem because as your sales move online, your margins tend to fall. And the reason it's, it's kind of counterintuitive because you would think, oh, e-commerce, it's got to be cheaper. You don't have to have a store. The reason is that the costs online are variable costs, whereas the costs in a store are fixed costs. So let's say I have a store, and the more sales I can run through that store, the more money I make, because I have my same fixed cost for that store, my same employees, my same cost to keep the lights on, and those costs stay the same, and no matter, and you know, if I can run more sales through that store, the more money I make. When I sell something online, each and every item must be packaged and handled and shipped, and those costs are variable, and they, they climb with the number of sales that I make. Yeah. They, so margins tend to be lower online, especially when you still have those physical stores sitting there not having as many sales going through them.
So as these companies like sort of kick off the earnings season, you said department stores you're expecting to have, uh, you know, have the roughest go of it. What can we expect from other sort of segments of the retailing industry? Well, I mean, we have teen retailers where things aren't looking great because brands matter less there, too, but it tends to be a share shift. That's always been a pretty crappy business, to be <laughs> honest. It's always been very volatile. And, you know, one company may be on top this quarter, which means the others are not. And then, you know, as soon as the other ones get cool again, you know, you're back to, to that. Um, so there's still some degree of that, although, you know, fast fashion companies like Forever 21 and H&M, uh, Zara have been sort of eating the lunch of some of the teen retail brands. Um, you know, we also have Target and Walmart, those guys. Um, Target has been in kind of a tough spot because Walmart's really jumped ahead in e-commerce and Target was sort of left on its back foot. Target's sort of trying to doing this big investment initiative to turn around the look and feel of its stores and to improve its online operations. I think it will be able to get there. It's a massive organization, but it kind of has to get back to focus. And its grocery business is doing pretty badly. Um, I mean, I mean, I think some people just think the company never should have gone into groceries to mm-hmm. begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you got Amazon getting further into groceries with Whole Foods. Yeah. So it just is looking worse and worse. They kind of thought they needed to do it, I think, in order to compete with Walmart. But it's not a great business. It's a low-margin business, and people don't really think of groceries when they think of Target. What about, like, Best Buy? Uh, I love Best Buy. <laughs> you really? Yeah. I think Best Buy is one, is a great company. It's already been through the ringer with Amazon. It, it saw death, and it returned from the brink. <laughs> and it's a much stronger company yeah. because of it. Um, they, they've basically, they, the key thing they did was they matched all prices. So they'll match whatever prices you see anywhere. They also have really focused on the high-end um, equipment, which you wouldn't necessarily want to buy online without looking at it first and testing it first. And if you can go to a store, look at it, test it, get someone who really knows about it, which they now have, you are more likely to buy it there because you can get the same price that you would get somewhere else. You don't do showrooming as much right. anymore, where you go and look at a place, at something in a store, and then go buy it on Amazon. All right. Miriam Gottfried, Heard on the Street columnist. Thank you very much. Of course. I just want to say something real quick before we go. Can Paul really call himself a Trekkie if he's not going to pay for the streaming? I mean, I'm just sorry. I have to get that <laughs> off my chest. Uh, uh, yes. Yes. Don't even put – don't go there with me, grocer. Don't make me do that. Are you a, a, an agent for CBS? No, no. I wish I, you're trying to, I, 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 trying to guilt me into buying CBS All Access. No, you're I'm no Trekkie. Saying, I'm just saying. Like, is that CBS's new marketing uh, tag? Uh, yeah. You know, I I pay up to watch football. I pay up to watch the things I want to watch. What's wrong with you, Paul? Maybe I'm a bad Trekkie. How about that? Uh, all right. Listen, I'm everyone, a fan. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it as always, and we'll talk to you soon. Follow the Wall Street Journal on your favorite podcast app. Search WSJ on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and any Amazon Alexa device. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. 
and every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.